So I have here in my hand a baton, and um, uh, I did not have a, an illustrious athletic career, and in fact, the side, just holding this baton kind of awakened some fear and anxiety uh, in me. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, hated, I hated track, and to this day, I, I don't enjoy running, uh, and, uh, but, but you know, every now and then you you, uh, as, a, as, a, as a student, you just got to do things that, uh, that you don't like to do, which kind of correlates to uh, being an adult, right? You just do some things that you don't enjoy. And, and I hated any kind of relay because the idea of, of, of not just running, but running and trying, to, trying to, to, to get a baton that you can't see or pass a baton to the next person. Uh, I mean, anytime I was involved in that, you know, calamity ensued. It was, you, you know, you can watch some fail videos on YouTube, people falling, and that was me, okay? Um, but uh, we got Tamara Flippin here, who uh, state, uh, state winner uh, of uh, the mile relay. What year was that, Tamara? 94. Tamara was five years old, which makes that even more, even more amazing. Uh, uh, well-respected athlete, incredible athlete, uh, state, uh, state gold medalist in, in the mile relay. Uh, but that's Tamara's story. My story is it's tough to make that handoff. Um, and it's awkward. And, and, and I find some comfort in that even Olympic athletes, even, even some U.S. Olympic athletes have struggled with this baton uh, handoff, and, and, and especially in the, in, the, in the sprint relay, because you, you've got no margin for error. I mean, that handoff has to happen within, a, within just a matter of seconds. And a few years ago, we had our men's and our women's team at the Olympics uh, fumbled their, their, their relay handoffs, and it was a big, it was a big thing. And, and, and there was an article about it that said, ask a group of athletes why Olympic baton passing is so difficult, and you will hear a variety of theories. The one aspect athletes cited almost universally in recent interviews was chemistry. And so you develop chemistry by spending time practicing that handoff over and over and over again. Uh, but the article goes on to say that part of the reason Olympic athletes struggle is because we place such a high, uh, a high importance on solo athletics that we don't take the time to developing the chemistry it takes for those relay races. Um, and you know, the Scripture many times compares the Christian life to a race. We've been walking through the book of Acts, and for, uh, you know, for, for 2,000 years, the gospel has been shared from person to person, from Jerusalem all the way here to Nolan County, America. And what has happened for 2,000 years is somebody gets handed a baton, and maybe that baton handoff is messy, maybe it's not pretty, maybe it's Olympic worthy, but at some point, the baton of the gospel is handed from one person to the next, from one generation to the next, and it is rattled down through the ages from Jerusalem to us, from 2,000 years ago to today. And, and if you know Jesus, it's because at some point somebody came, and maybe they didn't do it perfectly, but somebody came and they handed you this baton. And you took the baton. And if you are breathing, if you have a pulse, and if you know Jesus, that means there is a baton in your hand. And the question for us today is, what are you doing with that baton? Are you going to say, ooh, what a beautiful baton. I think I'm going to put it here on the shelf and look at it. Don't take my baton. This is my baton. I'm going to do what I want to do with this baton. Or are you going to take what has been given to you? Are you going to take what has been entrusted to you? And are you going to share it? Or is there, is, there, is, there, is there any obstacle, is there any, uh, any hurdle that's going to prevent you from taking the baton that you've freely been given and put that baton into the hands of others? God's big story continues to move forward 
from the book of Acts all the way to today through His Spirit-empowered people. And so as we pick up in Acts 28, uh, Paul, the last thing that happened was Paul got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And, uh, and, and uh, the, the people on his ship, 275 people were, 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 were rescued. They, they didn't die like, like Paul uh, said they wouldn't. They washed ashore in the dead of winter on this island of Malta. The, 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 the local people build a bonfire and show hospitality to them. Paul's helping out, gathering up some sticks. A viper comes out of the fire and latches onto his arm and he and he puts the viper in the fire, and the people on the island say, they're superstitious, and they say, man, this guy survived a shipwreck only to get bit by a snake. He must be a terrible person. He's going to die, but then he doesn't die. And they say, wow, he must be a god. And that, uh, again, that demonstrates the fickleness of humanity. Um, but but uh, Paul says, no, I'm not a god, but he, he uses the opportunity to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, he, he leaves Malta after three months after he's been broke down for three months and he leaves Malta a different place than he found it. The gospel was shared with the lowest of the low and the highest, uh, the highest government official on the island. People were healed. People's lives were transformed. People were changed. And that's the thing about Paul. As we see Paul, we see a person who seizes any opportunity to take the baton that he's been given and pass it on. Uh, I, 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 I think if we took a little straw poll here, how many people enjoy breakdowns? Anybody enjoy breakdowns? Probably none of us do. You broke down the side of the road or broke down, you, you got a, a blowout or something. Probably our first thought isn't, I wonder, I wonder uh, how this might be a tool to advance the gospel. But that's exactly what Paul does is he shipwrecked on this island three months. I mean, he could have he could have, in that three-month period, he could, have, he could have said, why me? I've been, I've been in prison two years already. Now I'm, now I'm broke down on an island. Nobody would listen to me. But what he does is he leaves that island different. You know, you know you, your life, it may feel like a marathon at times. But I'm sure our people here uh, that, that have been around a few decades, I'm sure there's some people here that would say, man, your life is a sprint. Your life is over uh, and, and, and decades roll by before you even know it. And, and, and you have been given this baton for a really brief moment in time. What will you do with it? That's our question today. So even shipwrecked on an island, Paul is concerned with passing the baton to the next generation. He's, he's interested in moving God's story forward and maybe your life's broke down right now i mean maybe your finances are broke down your health's broke down your career's not going where you you thought it would your marriage is broke down i don't know but you have a baton in your hand and god is still you have a pulse and god has called you to participate in his story take the baton you've been given and hand it forward so we we uh, we, we pick up in in verse 11 acts 28 11 after three months we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. This ship, that, this little historical that nugget that Luke puts in there, the ship that Paul's on um, has the twin gods as a figurehead. These, these are the, 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 the gods Castor and Pollux, these twin gods that were sons of Zeus that were, that were worshipped uh, by, by, by folks in this time. And, and, and here you've got Paul on this ship that's got these idols on the figurehead, and you've got this man surrounded by idolatry that's placing his trust in the sovereignty of God. And he puts in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. 
And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so we came to Rome. What does Paul find in Rome? The first thing Paul finds in Rome is he finds community. Um, the believers at Rome heard that Paul was coming. Man, Paul's coming, he's landed. And, 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 and these believers travel 30 miles uh, by, by road to go out and meet Paul. They've never seen Paul before. They've never laid eyes on Paul before, but they got this letter that Paul had sent them a couple of years before. It's a letter we call the letter to the Romans, the greatest letter ever written. They had read and studied and poured over this letter that, that, out, that, that, that lays out the gospel and that says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it says that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and all the hopes and dreams of every human heart, all the promises of the Old Testament. And, and, the, and, and these folks have been praying for Paul and, and reading this, in this letter. And when they find out that he's, that he's there, they, they don't wait for him to come to the city. They, they go 30 miles to meet him. And they gather, and it says that he takes courage by, by being around them. This is the importance of community. Paul's heart, which is weary. Paul's heart, which is tired. Paul's heart that's been literally in a storm for years now, finds courage as he's, as he's around believers that he doesn't even know. Some of those believers were from Jewish backgrounds. Some were from Greek backgrounds. Some were rich. Some were poor. They looked different. They were all different points of, of, on the socioeconomic scale. But Paul finds common unity with these believers, common unity. And the unity that he has in common with them is that they have Jesus in common. And you know, we're all hungry for community, but we tend to find community rooted in uh, what kind of uh, uh, politics do, 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 you, do, do, you, uh, do you believe in? Are you a Democrat or a Republican? Okay, we're community. We find community based on what team do you root for? We find community based in how much money do you have in the bank? We find all of these commonalities to try to find common unity with people and Paul is able to find courage and community with all these random people he's never even met before because whatever they don't have in common they have Jesus in common and I wish we would grab a hold of that that what we have in common is Jesus and when we have Jesus in common we can we can interact with believers uh, whatever else we don't have in common and our hearts like Paul's can find courage he has courage to keep going because he finds common unity with these believers that come out to meet him. He finds community in Rome. He finds captivity in Rome. We read there in verse 16, he comes to Rome and Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. We're going to find later that Paul's wearing a chain. He's on house arrest and he's wearing a chain. He's, he's not thrown into a pit or into a dungeon. God's given him favor, but still he's on house arrest. He's not free. He's wearing a chain and he's going to be wearing this chain for two more years. He finds captivity in Rome. This isn't the way that he planned to come to Rome. When he wrote the Romans two years before, he had planned to, to go to Rome and then springboard from there to Spain. He had no intention of coming to Rome wearing, wearing chains, but this was God's providence. God got him to Rome and God got him an audience with the emperor. Wasn't the way he saw it coming. He, 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 he comes there by uh, and, and finds captivity. He also finds opportunity. Read verse 17. After three days, he called together the, the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason to give me the death penalty. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, Caesar though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we received no letter from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Paul gathers the local Jewish 
leaders. He's a Jew and he wants them to know that he's a Jew, Jew who believes in Jesus. He's not out to hurt the Jews. He's not out to bring any charges against the Jewish nation. He says, I'm wearing this chain because of the hope of Israel. He says, I'm wearing this chain because I believe that the story that we have in our scripture is fulfilled in no other name but in the name of Jesus. He's the one who fulfills all the promises. He says, I'm here because I believe in the hope of Israel. I believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah and that he's the one who's, who's died and who's risen. And they say, well, we haven't heard anything about you. And, and maybe that's because their postal system wasn't very effective. They didn't have Lance Little to get the letter from, from Jerusalem all the way to, to Rome. And remember, Paul has barely gotten there, there himself. The letter, the, the ship with the mail on it might have shipwrecked also or might be coming later. But the other reason they might not know about him is because the Jews in Jerusalem really aren't really keen on getting Nero on their backs. They're really not wanting Nero's attention turned to them. So they're just, when they see Paul sail away... They say, okay, he's, he's, he's out of our hands. We don't have to deal with him anymore. So these Jews say, we don't know who you are, Paul, but we hear about this Christian thing all the time. We hear about the way all the time. We hear about these followers of Jesus all the time. And everywhere we hear about it, people are, people are saying bad things about it. So he says, they say, we want, to know, we want to know your views. And Paul seizes this opportunity being in Rome. He's been locked up for two years. He had a terrible journey. Three months of that journey, he's shipwrecked, uh, broke down. On, on, the, uh, on an island. And now he's at Rome under house arrest. What would you do if that was you? You know, Paul could have, uh, when, when things took a, a, a bad turn, um, like think about when your wallet gets stolen on vacation. Think about, think about when uh, your phone takes a swim and you hadn't backed up your pictures. Think about when you get that news from the doctor. It was the last news that you wanted to hear. You know, in all of those moments, if you know Jesus, you still have a baton in your hand. In that moment, when you get the news you didn't want to hear, you have a baton in your hand. Even when things take a bad turn, you have a baton in your hand and you, you have a race to run. And what are you going to pass on to those around you? You know, if I was Paul, maybe I would have kind of thrown a fit I don't deserve this. I've been trying to do right. Look at me now. I'm in prison. Maybe if I was Paul, I would have shaken my fist at the heavens. And maybe he did some of that. Maybe if I was Paul, I would just sit around and binge watch The Office for a while. But Paul seizes an opportunity. He's in prison. But he believes down deep in the core of his being that the gospel is powerful to change lives. And he seizes the opportunity and he gathers the religious uh, Jewish leaders and he presents the gospel to them. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them. So when do you share the gospel? When's a good time to share the gospel? You can drink Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, or 4, right? But Paul's example here is you can share the gospel from morning until night. And you need to have a five-minute gospel presentation where you say, look, here... I, I was dead in my sins. Jesus got a hold of me, changed my life, and, and, and here's John 3.16. I mean, you need to have a five-minute gospel presentation, but you need to have a five-hour gospel presentation where you can just walk people through the Scripture. You can just walk people through the, the, the Word of God. And that's what Paul does here. From morning till night, he's just showing these Jewish, these, these Jewish leaders, here's how Jesus... Here, look, at the, look at Genesis. Look at the law. Look at the prophets. Look at the Psalms. Look at all these ways that Jesus is the fulfillment of our story. Day and night. There's always a good time to share the gospel. <clears throat> he's trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. He says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, the Isaiah the prophet, and we're going to pick up there in a minute. Uh, Paul finds heartbreak. He finds community. He finds opportunity. He finds captivity. He finds heartbreak in Rome. You know, Luke, who wrote Acts, Luke also wrote Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells the most famous story that Jesus ever tells. He tells, he, he tells the story of this father that has two sons. And the younger son says, give me my inheritance now. And he goes and he just, he's prodigal. He's wasteful. He goes and he wastes everything that the father gave him. And when he comes home ashamed, the father who's watching for the son uh, draws up his, his jacket and goes and he, and he, and he races and he, and he grabs that son and he wraps his arms around that son and he welcomes him and he throws a party for him. And the older brother is outside going, hmm, yeah, sure you throw a party for him, but I've been here all this time. I've been here all this time. I've been the one doing everything I was supposed to do. I've been here tending the place, and I've been here caring for the animals. I've been here farming the land, and you've never even given me a goat. And the prodigal son story, the older brother represents the religious people, represents the, the people of Israel, and, the, and the, the younger brother, the prodigal one, represents the, the outsiders and the outcasts. And, and Paul's desire is that the older brother, his people, would bow their knee to Jesus. And that the older brother, his people, would wrap their arms around the outcasts. But that's not exactly what happens here. A few believe, but by and large, most don't. And his heart's broken. And Paul says, man, it's just like God told Isaiah all those hundreds of years ago. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will See, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with the ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. He says, therefore, let it be known to you that from this day salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul's heart is broken, and he says, you, my friends, my family, he says, you've chosen to, to stop up your ears and close your eyes and not hear the gospel, and so the message is going to the younger brother. The message is going to the outsiders and the outcasts and people that, that, that don't even know God's word. And the struggle here is, you know, there's been times throughout church history that, that we, the church, we've been that older brother. We've been the ones with our ears clogged up and our eyes blinded. And God's had to say to us, you know what, I'm taking the good news out there on the highways and hedges to the outcasts, to the people that are actually going to listen and the, the the thing is we read this if we say oh yeah those 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 jews really really had it coming they they just didn't listen to it. no this is a warning text don't be the religious person that knows all the answers but doesn't know jesus don't be the one that can can check all the boxes but but doesn't have a, a walk with christ don't be the one that has the baton and says it's mine i'm going to keep it all to myself that's not what god has called us to do and to be Paul's heart is broken, but he says, I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And you know what? The Gentiles did listen. By and large, they did listen. And that baton was passed from person to person to person, from generation to generation to generation. And now that baton has fallen into our hands. What will we do with it? What will we do with it? Finally, Paul finds mission. Even though he's locked up, even though he's under house arrest, he's still breathing. He's still on mission. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God, 
teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and with no hindrance. He's come to the ends of the earth in fulfillment of Acts 1.8. The Spirit of God has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 says to you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in, in Sweetwater and Nolan County and Texas and America and the world and the ends of the earth. Even though Paul's locked up, he's still on mission. And he's talking to anybody that'll listen, including that guard that's, that's chained to him. He's talking to anybody that'll listen and he's unpacking the word of God and sharing the gospel. He doesn't wallow in self-pity. He lives on mission. It's interesting that this book comes to such an abrupt end. It just ends with Paul preaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. Hey, you can be part of what God's doing now. The, the, the rule of God is, has broken into this earth. He's teaching about Jesus. Hey, hey, Jesus is the, is the promised one. You root your life in him. And, and sometimes, like, what's my calling? What am I called to do? We're called to lovingly preach that this, there's a new day that's dawned. We're called to lovingly teach that Jesus is the fulfillment of the story and that our lives can be rooted in Him. That's what you do. You can do that in the nursery. You can do that with kids. You can do that at the shop starting this week, Tuesday, Thursday, after school program. You can do it with teenagers. You can do it with senior adults. You can do it with the, with the disabled. You can do it with anybody, but just do it. It's not calculus. It's not complicated. It's not putting a man on the moon. You take what God's given you and you share it with anybody that'll listen. And there's no excuse not to. Whether you're doing it here, or you're doing it on, on Mars, do it. That's why God has put you on this planet. God's big story continues to move forward through His Spirit-empowered people. This is an end with a beginning. Because we're reading the story. Well, Paul's, we, we've, we've gone through all these chapters. He's finally in Rome. And Luke doesn't tell us what happens. It's like, it's like you're watching your favorite TV show and it just ends. Well, well what happens next? What happens to Paul? Does he live? Does he die? Does he get to Spain? What happens? And part of the reason this ends so abruptly is because this story isn't about Paul. Paul's never been the hero of the story. And Paul knows that. That's why he lives his life the way he lives. He is clear that he is not the hero of his story. He knows that Jesus is the hero of his story. I just want you, I want you to know that. Do you know that? That you're not the hero of the story. That Jesus is the hero of the story. It comes to an abrupt ending because really the book of Acts hasn't ended. It's still being written. The acts of the Holy Spirit through God's people is still being written. It's being written in your life. It's being written as you share a cup of cold water, as you share the God's word, as you, as you love somebody that's, that's not very lovable. The acts of the Holy Spirit are continuing because God's big story continues to move forward 2,000 years later. Through His Spirit-empowered people, the baton has been handed to you. Who will you hand the baton to? The end of this book is really the beginning. And the baton has come to us. Along the way, we're going to find community like Paul found. We're going to find conflict. Anybody got some conflict? We're going to find opportunity in the midst of that. We're going to find heartbreak. And God has called us into his mission to make us spirit-empowered witnesses. So what are you going to do with today, with this week, this month, 2018, the rest of your life. Somebody passed the baton to you. So who are you going to pass it to? Bear with us for a few minutes as we, we go into a time of response. We don't have Paul's sermon notes. But I'm pretty sure he probably began with something like, you know what? 
as he's unpacking the gospel these two years in Rome, he probably would begin the story with the beginning. He said, in the beginning, a good God created a good universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. response to our rebellion a God this good loving creator God refused to give up and he called this man named Abram who had nothing and had nobody and he he told Abram I'm going to make a family out of you I'm going to make a nation out of you and look out at the stars Abram your descendants will be more than all the stars in the sky I'm going to shine through you Abram I'm going to bless the world through you Abram I'm making a covenant with you now not because of who you are but because of who I am
God made this amazing family, but there was a problem. Just like Adam and Eve, they continued to go their own way. Prophet after prophet warned and urged them to return. Hope turned to a true son of God that would come. A true king would rule. A true shepherd would guide them. He would set his people right and he would throw open the doors for all who believed to come in. He would be a king, but he would also be a suffering servant. Jesus took our place on the cross, died. By His stripes, we are healed. Healed of our brokenness and our isolation. He was rejected by men, but vindicated by God. He rose from the dead, overcoming all sin and death and darkness. And, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we have a time of response. And I just, I just ask you, what are you, you going to do with your baton?